0: Be seated. Scripture for today is found in Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. The Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, first of all, I was trying to think all day of, uh, earlier, especially in first service. If I should, st- I'm, I'm an Oklahoma State fan, by the way. Um, and should I say anything? Should I not say anything? And I won't say anything. Okay. Just to say, uh, uh, we've been there for many years, and we, so we know uh, what you're going through. Anyway, so that's all I'm going to say. I'm going to be humble, like the word says. All right. All right. Uh, you know, there's been a lot of noise on the airways lately. A lot of noise on all the other types of media, on the Facebook, (laughs) as my kids tease me, I say every once in a while. Um, There's a lot going on, and I think you know what I'm talking about. I don't even have to mention the words, but it is a political season. There's a presidential election along with other elections, and there's a lot of vibrant, um, let's just say the art of pontificating has gone to a new level. Uh, It's got me thinking. Well, first, let me say this first of all. Okay, this is a nonpartisan sermon, okay? If anybody feels any guilt at all, you've got to take it up with God. That's the Holy Spirit. It's like I'm coming from me, all right? So, because I can go to my Facebook feed, and I can find it, things from both sides that, um, that got me thinking about this. Of all those claims we keep throwing out on Facebook or talking around the water cooler at work, how often have we stopped to really try to dig into it and look at the people beyond the issue or behind the issue. How often have we really dug to find out what is causing this need, whether it be you're for it or against it? Because we well, easily nowadays can just seems to throw things around. It just got me thinking. My grandpa Dunn was quite a character, as my mom's uh, dad, and he had many sayings. He was quite a talker and you know, the one he told me the most was, he, things he would say was, you know, Greg, you need to become a postal worker. Well, he was a postal worker uh, because, you know, they'll never ever, they'll always, always need mail. They'll never have electronic mail, you know, which he was wrong about that one. But anyway, um, the, the irony of all things, by the way, this is a little aside, I worked for UPS through college and talk about, back then, that was U, U, Postal Service, UPS, They were mortal enemies. Anyway, I just thought of that all of a sudden. I don't know why I thought of that. Anyway, okay, sorry about that. Um, But he had a saying he said all the time, and this one really stuck and is really true. Don't criticize someone unless you've walked a mile in their shoes. Have you heard that phrase before? Don't criticize someone unless you've walked a mile in their shoes. What do you mean by that? He meant before you're so quick to criticize, maybe you need to stop and pause and pause. And think about where they're coming from. Think about their perspective. What is causing them to be this way? Don't pause to look it through their eyes. Pause to walk in their shoes. Since I was a little kid, I heard stories about Haiti. Because my church I was involved in, in grade school, was one that had a lot of outreach and supported a lot of ministries in Haiti. And helped support a medical mission there and other activities. We would send a lot of short-term mission teams there. And I remember one time when I was a kid, for some reason this one stuck, and I remember a guy getting up talking about, basically, if they would just work harder, they would pull themselves out of poverty. And for some reason that stuck in my brain, and that was my viewpoint of Haiti for a long time. But then in 2010, uh, I had the opportunity to go with another gentleman to Haiti in the summer of 2010, just a few months after the big earthquake. Do you remember that earthquake that happened early by 2010? It was devastating to that whole island. And especially to Port-au-Prince, the capital. And that's where we went in 2010 to go help with relief efforts. We went there for a month. So for a month, I was sleeping in, for a majority of that time, in a tent when I first got there. And we would work all day helping with relief efforts, and it was hot and humid. And then at night, we would sleep in our little tent, and we would uh, try to sleep, even though there was uh, all these noise from water trucks making deliveries, UN troop carrier tr- trucks going by, rumbling by, the brothel down the street, the um, the roosters crowing even though it's not dawn, uh, and and the sad sound of the dogs barking because they're so hungry. Oh yeah, and it was also ungodly hot and humid at night too. So we basically were sleep deprived, and I can go on and on about describing the de- deplorable living conditions, the open sewers in the streets, and the tin roofs and the cardboard walls and I can go on and on, but the longer I was there, the longer I walked the streets with them, I walked in their shoes, my perspective changed. And it went from this callous-minded, well, if they just worked harder, to realizing more and more, these people were trapped. They were trapped in a system of poverty, a cyclical pattern that no matter how hard they worked in, they just weren't going to get out of. And why was this? Well, one thing, the government's... There, and I know you might have heard about this, but until you experience it firsthand, it really strikes home how the, the, the elite, small group of rich people in that country are controlling things. See, when we came in, we brought a bunch of tools with us, but mysteriously they were lost when we checked in on our flight. They were lost in customs somewhere. And we were told by NGOs that you should expect anything that comes through, you should only expect about 20% of it to get through. And from that on and on and on, more stories about how corrupt the system is there for them and how disadvantaged they are. And it was until I walked in their shoes that I realized that these people are just stuck. My perspective started to change. So I did spend most of my time walking around the neighborhoods, but there was another form of transportation called a tap-tap that we'd use. A tap-tap was, got its name because, well, first of all, let me describe it. On the top left, you'll see that's me with my head kind of hanging there. I don't know if I was sick on that trip or not. I can't remember. But anyway, um, basically it was a Nissan or Toyota pickup with a homemade canopy and two bench seats on the side. That was called a tap-tap. And the reason why it was, it was a taxi service, and the reason why it was called a tap-tap is you would basically just jump on board whenever you, it goes by, and they'd kind of slow down and maybe stop for you. But when you wanted to stop, you would take your coin and tap-tap on the window, and they would stop. you walk around front, pay them the fee, and then they go on and start up again. So that's why it's called a tap-tap. Um, they have this everywhere around the country. Well, my friend and I decided we were going to get one of these tap-taps and rent a whole one, and a bunch of group of us went in together, because we were going to go to Jacamel, which is on the south side of Haiti, where we heard that they had a lot of damage, but also they're not getting a lot of relief efforts, because everybody was focusing on the north side of the island. So we ran into this tap-tack and made a long trek over the mountains, windy roads. I thought I was being smart in the back of the tap-tap, because uh, I thought it would be fresh air, but... I realized a few miles down the road that there was a hole in the floorboard, and there must have been holes in the exhaust, and it was all coming right up towards me. So by the time we got there, I was a shade of green and purple. They said other things, and uh, uh, it was—I'll tell you more about that some other time. That whole experience. But when we got there, we found the uh, the NGO who was doing relief efforts in, the, in that part of Haiti. They got us arranged a place to stay, and it was in a school building—a school building that. Uh, I was out for summer break. Now, those of you who have been in Central America and other places, there you have a lot of open rooms, so there was no door on these classrooms, and there was hardly any walls, about like a wall that went halfway up with giant windows, because it was open air to get to let the breeze come through, because there was no air conditioning at all. But for us, it was luxury, because after we been sleeping several weeks in a tent in Port-au-Prince, this was luxury to have a roof over our head. But when we got there, there was a young little boy that started t- tagging along with us right away. I'd say young, 12-ish or so. It was so hard to tell their age of many of the kids. But he would start tagging around along with me, and Philippe was his name. I could never pronounce his name right because it's French Creole, and, and I was butchering. I'd call him Philip, and he would get mad at me because he'd say, my name's not Philip. It's Philippe, you know, and, and uh, anyway... Um, he was always around with us to follow us everywhere we go, and when we go to the job site, he would ask to work, help along with us, and we'd try to give him a task, but often we had to redo the task he did, and, but we wanted him to feel included. Many a times, he would leave in the middle of the day, and we'd come back that night to our place of lodging and realize that some things were missing. We kind of put two and two together, and you know, he was about the only one that was in that area because there was a guard at the school all the time. And so we were getting more, a little bit more frustrated, frustrated with him. And finally, one time night at dinner, we were talking with him, and we asked him a little bit about his story, or do, does he have family in the area? You know, who's he living with? And he told us then that his family had all died in the earthquake, that he's from Port au Prince, and all his, his mom, his dad, all his siblings, his aunts and uncles all died, and he was on his own. And he was bumming around the streets of Port-au-Prince for several weeks until finally he decided to come to Jacmel because he heard there was possibly a friend there he knew. And so he walked over the mountains, took several days, hitching rides whenever he could. And now he was living on his own. So basically, he was just surviving. Once I heard his story, once I got to walk in his shoes a little bit, my perspective changed on him. Did you see the first step when we do this, when we walk in someone else's shoes, is we need to listen to their story. Proverbs 18 says, An unfriendly person pursues selfish ends, and against all sound judgment starts quarrels. Fools find no pleasure in understanding, but delight in airing their own opinions. And James gets even more to the point, in James 1.19 It says, understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. I love James. He doesn't mess around. He just gets right to the point. We need to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Isn't that just great Great wisdom for any kind of relationships? Whether they're a stranger or a loved one. We should all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. But especially I think if we look past whatever issue this group is a part of or whatever it might be a friend, a relative, a coworker or something that you're having an issue with, this is just good way to good living right here. Quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. But for us For many of us, that is hard to do, isn't it? You're saying, I I don't want to say anything, I just got to listen? Yeah. Sometimes it's best just to sit and to listen. Some days, someday you may go on a short-term mission trip. Many of you already have. I know many in our church have gone to Lucinda School and Orphanage in Guatemala. It's, It's a ministry we support there. Wonderful ministry. They're doing great work. And they could all probably tell you that their lives have been changed by those trips and their perspective about that country and the kids has changed. But for many of us, it starts just right where we're at. It starts with our neighbors. It starts with our family, our co-workers, or maybe even the other side of town here in the greater Austin area. People who are struggling just to survive. But here's my... My worry. I'm afraid that we're becoming a society that's just doing a lot of talking and not much listening. That we're doing lots of shouting and yelling, but not much listening. It's so easy today in social media just to spout off without thinking about it before we do it. It's so easy to not see that there's a person inside that issue. That's up for political debate, and we use it as weapons against each other. We need more listening and less shouting. And my prayer is that as Christians, we would be the shining examples of how to do that, and how to listen to each other, how to reason with each other, and be slow to become angry. Let's pray. Almighty and merciful God, we thank you so much for the feast we're about to partake of. It is food for our souls. It's a means of grace given to us. I pray during this time, O oh God, as we take a moment here to sing and to reflect that we prepare our hearts for communion, that we would not take it lightly, that we would be truly thankful for all that you've given us, and that we would become the true believers, the true doers of good that you want us to be. We thank you in advance for this work you're going to do in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.